Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Church, it's great to be with you back in God's Word. We are going to dive into Philippians chapter 4. And uh, I would like to pray that God would be our teacher this morning. Would you bow with me? God, our Father in heaven, we are hopeless without you. We are helpless without you. But God, we, we don't have to live without you. You came down on a rescue mission. You did everything that was necessary for our salvation. And you have poured out your spirit. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be pleased not just to be among us because you're present everywhere, but to be among us in a special way this morning as we gather around the word that you have authored, that you have breathed out. God, your word is perfect. It is without error. It is useful and effective for training us in righteousness, God, for correcting our lives. God, we we pray that we would sit under your word today and that you would minister to our hearts and our minds and our souls as only you can. And God, that in the hearing of your word, we would be resolved to to become more like Jesus and that you you would see that work through in our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians. We're working our way through the book of Philippians, and we are in chapter 4. So if you have your copy of God's Word, and I I hope you do, I want to encourage you to bring your Bible. I want to speak to you this morning on cultivating a Christian mind, or cultivating a Christian mindset. In Luke chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus answers a lawyer's question about gaining eternal life with these words. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy 6.5 where Moses tells Israel the same thing, right? And he tells the Israelites to teach their children the Scripture in a variety of ways. Put it on your forehead, put it on the doors, get the Bible wherever you can get it. The formation of the mind is a priority for the people of God. We, we see this priority in other places as well, right? Elite athletes who seek to compete under, compete under intense pressure, what do they do? They don't just train the body, they prepare the mind for the moment when the game or the event will be on the line. In a similar way, in a pressure-packed world, cultivating the mind is vital for the believer. Those who want to know and love and serve Jesus need to cultivate a mind for Jesus. Satan and the forces of darkness and our flesh are perfectly happy if we would fill our minds and our time with Endless social media scrolling, suggestive shows, and yes, fears and and anxieties that come when we strive to live for Christ through opposition and other threats to our endurance in the faith. So Paul, by the time we get to this passage in Philippians, he's urged the believers in Philippi to stand firm for the gospel 
And he's urged them to have the same mindset in the Lord as they rejoice in him and they turn their concerns and anxieties and worries into gospel-driven prayer requests. And now in verses 8 and 9, he transitions from tackling anxiety, cares, and concerns to urging us to have a Christian mindset as we endure with and for Christ. Would you hear with me the word of the Lord? We'll just read verses 8 and 9 together. The word of the Lord says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. In verse 4, of chapter 4, we read the ongoing command to rejoice in the Lord. In verse 7, we read about a peace from God for those who turn their cares and anxieties into prayer requests to, to trust and know God more. And yet, here we are in a world that rejects and ridicules our Savior and our King and often rejects and ridicules those who love and follow Him. We live in a world that God so loved by sending His Son to it, and yet it is a world that, for now, often stands against Him. And yet, we are to be His ambassadors, right? Of His salvation and declarers of His glory. So how do we live in this tension? How do we continue in a world where there's so much that does not conform to Jesus and His truth, and yet live out the truth of Jesus for the sake of the gospel and the glory of God? How, how do we do it? There's this, do you feel that tension? Like all around us, it's not easy. And yet, he's God and he's got me, so I'm settled. But sometimes in my brain, I don't feel that way. Hence, we must cultivate a Christian mind or mindset. In verse 8, we see the priority, the importance of having a mind that is shaped by the character of God and the content of the gospel. That's what we see in verse 8. Our minds must be shaped by the character of God and the content of the gospel. The word think about in verse 8 is, is the word consider or to take account of. It's, it's an accounting term. It's more than just thinking good thoughts or having good vibes. There's an intentionality conveyed. Whatever's going on in your world, the world, your church, your family, make an ongoing conscious decision to think about that which is true. Decide to filter your mind through that which accords with God, that which is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. And steer clear of, of concepts and ideologies, uh, even friend groups that would lead you to think otherwise. These, these concepts, what is true, honorable, pure, lovely, just, commendable, excellent, these are the various aspects of an overall Christian mindset. They are the ingredients, if you will, that are baked into the cake of the Christian mind. When you eat a cake, you don't eat the eggs and then the sugar and then the salt and then the whatever else you put in a cake, the butter, right? You, you eat them all together. And that's, that's what's going on here. What is pure is that which is true. That which is true is that which is pure. That which is true is that which is honorable and so on. So all of these concepts together 
need to be what we take on and how we filter our minds as we think about the world in which we live. Wherever we are, whatever situation we find ourselves in, we are to think on that which accords to our life in Christ. We don't get a time out from this command. It's not consider these thoughts when it's convenient. It's not consider these thoughts on Sunday morning and then drop them off as soon as you walk out of this door. Keep on considering your thought life in this way. In Romans 12 verse 2, Paul says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. This word think about or consider implies a testing, a discriminating, if you will, a weighing out of thoughts and ideas. We are commanded here to be discerning in what we think about and how we think about it. We are commanded even to be discriminating in our thought life. Did you know that not all ideas or opinions are created equal? Discrimination carries a negative connotation today. But it is not always bad. Parents discriminate in who they are going to let take care of their children. If we refuse to acknowledge any difference between a green light and a red light, we may soon be in a terrible collision. If we refuse to discriminate between raw chicken and cooked chicken, we might soon be in the hospital. If we refuse to discriminate between good vocalists and poor vocalists, then I'd be on the praise team every week. And none of you would be here. Paul, not our minister of worship, but the apostle, is calling us to be discriminating in terms of what we think about. He's calling us to be discriminating in what guides our thinking and in turn our living. We live in a world saturated with thoughts and agendas and ideas that don't align with God or the gospel. And there are two responses to this challenge that Paul rejects implicitly by way of his command to cultivate a Christian mind. The, the first response, wrong response, to the sinful thinking of the agendas and ideas of this world is just giving up on being pure in our minds. I'm surrounded by bad ideas. I'm surrounded by anti-Christian thinking. I'm surrounded by injustice. I'm surrounded by impurity. I'm surrounded by lies. I'm, how, how do I navigate it? I'm not going to navigate it. I'm just going to give in. I'll do what the impure do when I'm with the impure, and I'll be pure when I'm at church. I'll tell the truth when I'm over here, but I'll surrender to lies when I'm over there. And Paul says, no, we can't just give up on preserving and cultivating a Christian mind. Some might say sin and seduction and sacrilege are everywhere, so why even bother? I can't get out of it. So I'll just give in to it. And that might seem like the easiest path, but it is the path of destruction. We must navigate this world with a mind fixed on God's truth, His mission, His character. We must be discriminating when it comes to the attitudes and ideas that we allow to have real estate in our minds. Think about your life in the last week. What are the inputs into your mind that you're allowing to have room in your brain? Are they true and pure and just and honorable? It matters what we expose our minds to. 
We can't just dive in and let our minds go the way of the world. But this verse also implies that there's another response that Paul doesn't want us to pursue. Paul wants us to continue to live in the world. He, he doesn't want the Philippians to just give up on living their lives in Philippi. It's a hard life in Philippi mentally, but he doesn't want them to just surrender Philippi. He, he calls them to keep on considering in their minds that which is good because he knows that they are living and working and eating in a world that is under the sway of evil. And he wants them to keep on living out their heavenly citizenship in a fallen world. To be sure, some measure of separation from the world is necessary for discipleship. The Christian home and the church are to be places and people where and among whom discipleship and biblical formation happen. And believers must do whatever is necessary to ensure that these things happen, but we don't write off the world in the process. We still have to buy gas for our automobiles, at least for a little while longer. Eventually we might just plug in to our garage. We still have to get groceries. We still have to go to the DMV, unfortunately. We still have to get our cars inspected. And if we take a beach vacation, there's going to be lost people at the beach when we go. And we're going to sit poolside at the condo and we're going to hear things that don't accord with the gospel. We're going to hear things from people who don't share our values or our vision of the good life. If we get to know our neighbors, we're going to encounter attitudes and behaviors and ideologies that don't align with Jesus. And Paul's answer to these challenges is not physical isolation from the world, but the cultivation of a Christian mind. In our homes and as a church, we apply ourselves to the vital work of discriminating between good and bad ideas, between pure and impure thoughts, so we might meaningfully engage the world and enjoy the lives that God has given us in the process. We've got to win the battle for the mind so that we can battle for souls in the world. Fee says this, even though we are presently citizens of heaven, we do not altogether abandon the world in which we live. Instead, we embrace the best of this world as long as it is understood in the light of Christ. And to do this, we've got to cultivate a Christian mind. How do we cultivate a Christian mind? The primary way we cultivate a Christian mind is to saturate our minds with the Word of God. Why are so many Christians floundering in the world today? They don't know the Word. They couldn't tell you the last time they thought about the Word other than the sermon they heard on Sunday morning. And then they wonder why they're struggling to have a Christian mind in a fallen world. Jesus prays in John 17 that the Father would set us apart for Himself, that He would sanctify us. How? By His truth. We cannot cultivate Christian minds without a consistent dose of God's Word. We need also to ask the Spirit to help us for that word to inculcate our minds, to, to make our minds truly Christian, to settle God's truth into our minds in such a way that we really think in a way that accords with God. David says in Psalm 139.23, search me, O God, and know my heart. And then he says this, try me and know my thoughts. The battle for faithfulness in a fallen world is a battle for the mind. Marita says it this way, what we think matters and it matters more than we think. So as we navigate 
life's decisions this week and in the weeks to come, as we scroll through the menu on Netflix, as we gather around the water cooler at work, as we coach a rec league soccer team or volleyball team or basketball team, as we watch our kids compete, as we seek to live for Christ, what do we do? Paul tells us in verse 8, we consider, we give priority to, we give weight to the six whatevers of verse 8. Do you see that? Whatever, 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 whatever. Why does he do that? It's, it's for rhetorical effect. It's so that we, we will see the accumulation, true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. Consider that. Eat the cake of the Christian life this week. First, Paul says we've got to consider whatever is true. He doesn't say be true to yourself. He doesn't say to go find your own truth. He doesn't say you do you. He says consider what is true. Give weight to what is true. What is what is true? It is that which accords with the character of God, who as Numbers 23, 19 says, is not a man that he should lie. We've got to consider what is true. And this doesn't happen naturally, right? Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and 25 tell us that people naturally in our fallen state suppress the truth. And we trade it for lies, leading us to worship creation rather than the Creator. But the gospel message shows us the truth about who we are and who God is and what He's done for us in Christ. And so as believers, we've got to strive to persevere in and preserve and promote and defend and to obey the truth. And we all do this with the understanding that all truth is God's truth. There's no truth that God's unaware of or afraid of. Did you know that God is not afraid of science or mathematics? He's not afraid of accurate science or accurate math. There's not one accurate scientific fact that will ever contradict the Word of God. Because the God who inspired the Word is the God who made the world. The only reason math and science work is because God exists. Did you know God also isn't afraid of sports? I like sports. I'm going to go watch the Lady Hokies after service today. I'm very excited about that. You know, some people say about sports, it's just a game. Why do you get so excited about that? And there's, a, there's a sense in which that's right. It is just a game. But why do we enjoy sports, for those of us that do? Because it's a game that points to a reality that's infinitely more important. Why, I mean, why do we care about competition? In the end, is it not true that there's going to be winners and losers and the stakes could not be greater? One day we will stand before God. And there's going to be winners and losers. There's going to be sheeps. There's going to be goats. Sheeps. Sheep and goats. So the passion that we feel rightly for our team in a winner-take-all contest is a mere shadow of the passion we should feel for reaching the lost and glorifying God in our minds. The sense of community that we feel with complete strangers wearing our team's colors is a tiny fraction of the community we should seek to develop and feel as brothers and sisters who've been purchased by the crimson blood of the Lamb. 
In a world of lies and delusions and self-deception, Paul says, think about whatever is true. Whatever lie you're tempted to believe that would rob you of the work and the joy and the privilege of becoming like Christ, throw it away and consider what is true. Next, consider what is honorable or noble or worthy of respect. God is the standard of truth and He is the standard of what is honorable. What is honorable? Who do we give honor to? Is is it not true that faithfulness over the long term and in the face of adversity is honorable? Faithfulness over the long term in the face of adversity is what is honorable. Jesus receives the name above every other name when? After he endures the cross. Typically, people get the honor of the Nobel Peace Prize after a long period of endurance followed by a significant life-giving or life-benefiting achievement. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul commands Timothy to be like a good soldier, to be like an elite athlete, to be like a hard-working farmer. These are noble professions when pursued wholeheartedly. They're everyday examples of what is honorable. In a world where the dishonorable is what is often celebrated, don't fall for it. Instead, consider what is truly honorable. That which points to Christ, who though He is God's Son, became like nothing and endured the cross to give us everything. Whatever honorable step that God would have you take in your circumstance, take it for the glory of God. Then Paul moves to whatever is right or just. Matters of justice and righteousness are ultimately determined by God, are they not? Aren't we thankful that God is just? Aren't we thankful that that those who have committed horrible atrocities one day will stand before a holy God? You know what? We're no better than they are apart from Christ. We too will stand before God. The, The world struggles with this concept of justice. The world wants justice without a just God, and they never get it right. Sometimes in this world, might makes right. Sometimes in this world, wealth makes right. Sometimes in this world, the path of least resistance makes right. But Paul is considering us to think and to weigh and to act in accordance with God who is just. Not not justice in the sight of man, but justice in the sight of God. We are to be people who think about doing what is right, even when the consequences of doing right will make people assume and think you've done wrong. And in this world, that can happen. Similarly, we are to consider whatever is pure. The animal sacrifices of the Old Testament were to be pure, no blemishes, no defects. Jesus was the ultimate pure sacrifice, sinless in every way, the perfect atoning sacrifice for sin. Pure means to be untainted or unstained by evil or corruption. On rare occasion, I get an opportunity to play golf. I like golf. Golf doesn't always like me, but I like golf. And I usually leave with about 93 shots or so, and about Two times around, I hit the ball pure, flush, right on the center of the club face, no toe, no hosel, no shank. And when I leave the golf course, the reason I can't wait to go play golf again is not because of the 91 shots that I took that were terrible. It's those two shots I just flushed it, and it was right down the middle, is exactly what in my mind I thought I wanted to do, and I did it, and I'm like, yes! 
Yeah, amen. Thank you. I knew it was in there somewhere. Paul is telling us, look for the things that accord with who God is in the center of his character. Don't, don't monkey around with the hosel. Don't hit it off the toe and say, well, I got it out there somewhere and it's okay and it's playable. Man, get to the heart of the purity of God in your mind and stay there. Don't flirt around with, well, well, is this kind of acceptable? It might be a gray area. It may not lead me to think pure in my life. So I'm just going to monkey around with something that's on the edge of not acceptable that might lead me into something that I know isn't acceptable. And we got Christians trying to play at the margins of what is, well, kind of pure, but not really pure. And then we end up defeated and deflated in our walk with Christ because we aren't hitting the ball of life in the center of the club face. Be pure. To our students here this morning, when you select your attire for the day, don't be guided by getting attention. Be guided by what is pure. To our adults, when engaged in conversations, be guided by what is pure. Don't follow gossip or innuendo or hold a grudge. Think of that which is pure. Think on Christ who had perfect purity, no sin, and gave his life to save. Paul continues, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, lovely is that which people have a friendly disposition toward. It's not necessarily about right and wrong, but just about things that are like, that was lovely. Let me give you an example. You go to Chick-fil-A and there's a senior adult behind you and you really want your spicy chicken sandwich and rather than opening that door and bolting in, you hold open the door and you let that lady pass by and you have to wait three minutes longer for your chicken sandwich. That's a lovely thing to do. Picking up the piece of trash in the hallway rather than walking around it, is a lovely thing to do. Living with our glorious future in mind and seeking small ways to bring the beauty of that future glory to bear in our present world is a lovely thing to do. That's how Christians ought to think about their occupations. We ought to think about bringing to bear the eternity that will exist one day when Christ returns, to bear in our sales, in our architecture, in our engineering, in our cutting of our grass. I love mowing my grass. I don't like how often I have to mow it because my dad likes fertilizer very much. But it's lovely to have a nice green lush yard. It's lovely to reflect the goodness of God in our lives. A symphony, a vacation, a work of art that reflects the beauty of our Creator and His, His creation. These are lovely things. Think about these things. We've got two, I don't know if you've seen them on the main hallway, but uh, a gift of two beautiful portraits in the sort of window boxes on the main hallway are there now. They're lovely. Also, that which is commendable or admirable. This refers to conduct that, that virtually no one would take issue with or be offended by. Teachers serving students faithfully for decades, soldiers risking their lives in defense of their country, first responders running into danger as others run away. These are commendable things. Think on these things. But you know, the world does sometimes commend things that aren't very commendable. 
There's a lot of things the world celebrates that we shouldn't celebrate. So Paul clarifies what he means when he adds, if there's anything excellent or any excellence or anything worthy of praise. These are clearly characteristics associated with with God. So not commendable in the eyes of man, but commendable in the eyes of God. To be excellent is to be a reflection of the glorious nature of God who powerfully delivers His people. To be praiseworthy is, is to be that which accords with God's will and truth. When Paul was in Athens, surrounded by idols, he didn't allow the depression of seeing idols prevent him from sharing the gospel, did he? You remember Paul in Athens? What did he do? He sees all these idols, and then he finds the idol to an unknown God, and he commends the Athenians for recognizing their own ignorance, and then he takes this idol to the unknown God, and he's like, here's one thing that's commendable in all these idols. I found one thing commendable in Athens. It's the idol to the unknown God. You're confessing your ignorance and you don't know who this God is. By the way, that God is the God you need to know because all these other gods don't even exist. There's one true God. You need to know that God. And so in a culture that was godless, that was pagan, that was filled with idols, Paul found one thing and led him to Jesus. John, when he's in exile on Patmos for faithfulness to Christ, it was there that he saw the triumph of the Lamb and his people and wrote the book of Revelation. Don't don't think this world is such that you can't live for God and think on Christ. I appreciate how Marita summarizes what Paul is urging us to see and do. He says, God is the creator and giver of all good gifts. We shouldn't be surprised to find many praiseworthy qualities in our world. What we must do is sift through the things we see through the grid of Scripture. This text does not give us a license to be worldly or to, de- to, to determine our own morality, but it does encourage us to ponder that the God of the Bible finds things worthy of our thoughts. So dear Christian, live life for the glory of God in the midst of a broken world. Garden, golf, knit, grandparents, study, sing, play, and do it all with a discerning or discriminating mind. A mind that considers what is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable, all with the understanding that it is God and His character that determines whether something is worth thinking about at all and how we ought to think about it. At all times and seasons, we long for our minds to be shaped by the character of God and the content of the gospel. And then we see in verse 9, very quickly, we don't just sit around and think. Thinking is very important. (laughs) But look at verse 9. we got to put into practice the gospel-driven, God-glorifying pattern that we see in Paul we got to put it into practice. As a Virginia Tech fan, I have listened to more than my fair share of post-game press conferences after a loss in which the coach blamed the loss on execution. Anybody else a football fan and heard that over and over again? Well, we just didn't execute today. You know what the coach is saying when they say we didn't execute today? He's saying we didn't have a lack of preparation. We didn't have a lack of information. We didn't even have a bad game plan, but the players did not execute. 
They did not put into practice everything that I told them to put into practice. They didn't faithfully and consistently live out on the field what they knew they were supposed to do and been trained to do, and therefore they lost the game. Paul is telling us in verse 9, believers, we've got to execute. The battle starts in the mind, but it proceeds to our practice. The command in verse 9 is to practice and keep on practicing these things. Thinking well is a vital start, but execution is essential. Don't think about repenting and forgiving and fail to execute. Don't think about being pure and fail to execute. Don't identify a lie from the world and then go celebrate that lie with friends. We've got to mentally sift through the world's ideas and agendas so that we can live as Christ lived in this fallen world. And Paul, again, presents himself as a pattern they can follow. He urges them to put into practice what they had learned and received and heard and seen in him in every possible way. Paul has demonstrated the pattern of dying to self for the glory of God and the good of his church. The gospel-centered and gospel-driven life has been learned in Philippi. It's been received in Philippi. It's been heard and seen in Paul. I mean, what else do they need? You've seen it. You've heard it. You've received it. They've got a great game plan. Think in accordance with Christ in the gospel and then live accordingly. And the goodness of God will therefore, therefore be cemented in their minds that they can act reflexively to whatever comes. The gospel is something they learned and received in Paul through what they heard and saw in Paul. That word received is interesting. Paul uses it frequently in 1 Thessalonians Chapter 2, we read that the believers in Thessalonica received the Word of God. Later in that same book, in chapter 4, we read that they received how they ought to walk and to please God. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul tells the church to reject anyone or anything that would bring a gospel other than the gospel that they had received. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says, As you receive Christ Jesus, so walk in Him. Do you notice by virtue of these examples, what Paul is saying, we receive the word, we receive the gospel, and we also receive the way that we live it out. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His gospel doesn't change. His truth and goodness and righteousness do not change. His love for the church and his desire for us to die to self and live for him as we stand for the gospel in a hostile world has not changed. Our job is to think rightly and then live rightly, modeling it for the next generation. What we have received, we are to pass down, just like Paul does. And we do so, so that others may receive it. In Jude 3, we learn there's one faith that has been once for all delivered to the saints. This unchanging doctrine and practice of the gospel is one that crosses linguistic and ethnic and cultural barriers Cultivating a gospel-driven mind and executing a gospel-driven life require the same sort of execution no matter where you live on planet earth. So how do we solidify right thinking? We do it with Christ-like living. We get mental victories by getting actual victories in our lived-out lives. It's one thing to think about purity. It's another thing to dress or to speak in a way that is pure. we got to do this over and over and over again. We've got to keep taking our lives to the cross, crucifying the flesh and living in the Spirit, rejecting lies, prizing the progress of the gospel enough 
both in our church and out in the world, that we deny self and live for Christ and become like Him in His death. Who are you dying for? How are you becoming like Christ in His death? So that God would be glorified and others would be edified. The church would be sanctified. When we, when we think and live accord with Jesus, in accord with Jesus and His gospel, notice the promise that comes. Then the God of peace will be with you. Think like this, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. You need the God of peace in your life this morning? You want peace this morning? We will have peace when we think and live in this way because God by His Spirit will be among us. The you here is y'all. Y'all, with the church, we together are called to cultivate a distinctively Christian mind, a mind not corrupted or controlled by worldly thinking or philosophies or approaches, and then we have to execute. The church is called to pursue the mind of Christ together. Be long-suffering and patient with one another for the glory of God and the good of the church. Reject the appeal of the world or our flesh or the enemy or secular ideologies to compress to compromise our faith or our heavenly citizenship for a life of ease in the world. Church, we are on a mission together to be faithful to this book and its implications because the peace of God is not found in a compromise with the world. The peace of God is found in a pursuit of God's will as expressed in His Word from a heart that wants to magnify and exalt Christ. And if that's our mindset, then we will know and enjoy the promise and the peace of God's abiding presence in our midst. There are seasons of opposition and adversity that are so great, that are so gut-wrenching, that we might be tempted to just throw in the towel and live like the world. But that's not the path of peace. We need the peace of God that comes to those who fight to know and live out faithfulness to Christ through faithfulness to His Word. And we do this... By knowing, as Isaiah promised, the Lord keeps him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. North Roanoke Baptist Church, God's peace is so soul-satisfying. It is so surpassing of human understanding that we obey even when we do not understand. Because nothing satisfies like the presence of God who is our peace. Peace in our hearts, peace in our homes, peace in our church. God, help us cultivate a Christian mind and live accordingly for the glory of our King and the good of those yet to know Him. Would you bow with me? God, our Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the opportunity to think well as we navigate a broken and fallen world. God, we pray that you would help us to meditate on the whatevers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, pure, right, just, commendable. God, if anything's excellent, if anything's worthy of praise, if anything accords with your character, your gospel, your mission in the world, help our minds to stay there, and then our lives, our hands, our feet, our mouths, our eyes, God, give us the will to execute for the glory of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. 
You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.